Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Beyond the Valley. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. I'm Sayali Roy Chaudhary in Singapore. And I'm Elizabeth Schulze in London. We have an exciting podcast lined up today. Before we get to that, we want to tell you about our brand new Beyond the Valley newsletter, which brings the most important technology news from around the world straight to your inbox. Sign up for the newsletter at cnbc.com slash beyond hyphen the hyphen valley. Today's episode is all about e-commerce. Most of us have experienced buying something online at least once, whether it's a book or a gift or clothes or even ordering groceries. That's right. Big e-commerce firms have become a ubiquitous part of our lives. In the U.S., we hear a lot about Amazon. Internationally, major players include Alibaba, JD.com, Lazada, Rakuten, just to name a few. Consultancy PwC said in its Global Consumer Insight survey, nearly 60% of consumers polled have shopped online at Amazon or its Chinese rivals JD.com or Alibaba's Tmall last year. To entice more people to shop on their online platforms, many of these big companies hold special shopping events where they sell products at steep discounts. Amazon, for example, has Prime Day. In 2018, Amazon sold more than 100 million products during its big Prime Day event. And Alibaba, China's biggest e-commerce company, racked up more than $30 billion in sales during its Singles Day event alone. That actually begs the question. Amazon and Alibaba, and a few other popular names, they have the budget, the user base, and clout to dominate the e-commerce sector now and in the future. Does this mean smaller retailers and individual sellers are going to be at the mercy of these giant corporations if they want to sell their products online? A lot of them use the likes of Amazon or Lazada in Southeast Asia, which is owned by Alibaba, as platforms to sell to customers far and wide on top of their own e-commerce websites. So we caught up with a few sellers in the UK, in Singapore and in India to find out if the presence of these large e-commerce companies has become a hindrance to their businesses, or if platforms like Amazon and India's Walmart-owned Flipkart provided an avenue to sell to a large number of potential customers with relative ease. I spoke with Mike Hirschkorn, who's the head of the UK operation for a company called Gorilla Sports. It's an international sports equipment retailer headquartered in Germany. Now, Gorilla Sports is an online-only business here in the UK, and Mike told me around half of its sales come through Amazon. Amazon has made it clear that international markets are a key source of growth, and you can see that here in the UK. The company now employs more than 27,000 people here. So let's talk about the Amazon experience you've had. What drove you to sell your products on Amazon? Uh, Basically, if you're an online retailer in the UK, you have no choice. If you don't sell on Amazon, you don't have a big business. It's where the vast majority of UK consumers go um, by default to shop online. Um, I'm even guilty of it myself. Whenever I'm looking for a product online, I'll search on Amazon before I'll search on Google for the most part. And it's just easy for people. So if you don't sell on Amazon, you are cutting out a huge chunk of your potential market. So there's no choice for you? No, absolutely not. Um, And for the most part, it's, it's okay. It makes sense. Uh, it's kind of relatively easy to sell through Amazon. You know, if you've got a decent product, um, 
once people discover it, it gets more popular, it shows up higher in the search rankings, and more people discover it, and it kind of builds upon itself. So you don't have to do a lot in terms of marketing, um, but the big downfall or downside to selling on Amazon is that they take a very large chunk of your profit margin in their in their fees, uh, just for the sake of you listing their, uh, your products on their site. They don't do anything else to help you. About what percentage do they take? Uh, we pay 15% of the net price of our goods. So once you factor in VAT, it, it works out at 18% of, uh, of the selling price of our goods, which is a, a very hefty chunk when you're working on the slim margins that we have to work on to, uh, to actually make our product attractive to, to customers. If we wanted to factor that cost into our prices, we'd just be selling at prices that customers wouldn't be willing to pay. So it's, again, a necessary evil that you just have to play Amazon's game and pay them. Uh, you don't have any choice. You pay them what they, what they uh, demand to be paid. Now, Mike told me he's had some frustrating experiences with Amazon from a seller perspective, like not being able to reach someone on the phone for support. He said Gorilla Sports has been trying to drive traffic to its own website, but that doesn't come for free. We have grown the amount of traffic coming to our website significantly in recent years, but that traffic doesn't come for free. So uh, instead of paying Amazon's seller fees, we end up paying uh, an awful lot of money to Google uh, for our AdWords uh, presence instead. Um, and it used to be that we were very keen to drive traffic from Amazon to the website because each sale was cheaper. But now we're spending almost as much as a uh, percentage of our sales advertising on Google as we were selling, um, paying uh, fees to Amazon. So either way, one of the big Silicon Valley companies is going to win. How do you feel as a, as a retailer that so much of your profits, either way, whether it's Amazon or Google, are going towards these big tech companies? It's, it's kind of a, a necessary evil, I think. If they were a, a traditional bricks and mortar shop, they'd be handing over huge chunks of their um, profit margin to um, to their landlords, to the local council in rates, um, to additional staffing costs and all those kinds of things. So somebody's going to get that money at the end of the day. It's kind of galling that it's one of these huge multinational companies that, you know, they don't need any more money. And it would be nice if there was a way to do it that would be more supportive of local businesses. But it's, uh, it's the way of the, the global economy, I think. Google did not respond to our request for comment. It's interesting, Saheli, that Mike called the presence of these big tech companies a necessary evil. While local businesses are getting exposed to a bigger group of potential customers when selling on these platforms, they're beholden to the terms and conditions set by big tech. And if you're not a favorite seller, your chances of reaping benefits could potentially diminish. Exactly. I recently spoke to Jason Tay, who is a co-founder of Fair Havens, which sells natural skincare products in the U.S. through Amazon's fulfillment program, and also locally in Singapore through his own e-commerce site and other platforms like Lazada and Q10. I asked Jason about his experience selling on online platforms like Amazon, which he says accounts for a majority of his company's total sales. Have a listen. I think when you compare the different sales channels and different markets in uh, different countries, uh, or keeping it within the English-speaking world, uh, the others pale in comparison to the scale of Amazon. So for example, uh, we sell in the States on Amazon as well as eBay. And uh, for every 1,000 sales that we have on Amazon, we maybe have three on eBay. 
and then compared to Singapore, uh, so let's compare the US market to the Singapore market. Of course, the US market scale is much larger. Uh, and so our sales in the US are probably three or four times that of our sales uh, in Singapore. So you could say that sales on Amazon in the US alone are three or four times our total sales on all channels in Singapore. Let's talk about the cost structure uh, in terms of how much Amazon charges you. Do you feel like they charge you a better, more competitive fee than, say, Lazada or Q10? All right. Well, in terms of uh, Amazon's cut or a commission or a fee, uh, if you sell on Amazon, uh, excluding their fulfillment services, Amazon charges typically a 15% uh, referral fee for every sale. Uh, since 2019, they've lowered that for lower cost items to 8% for some of their uh, product categories if your selling price is under $10 or $10 and below. Um, that's higher than almost every other marketplace that I know of. Uh, but I always uh, compare that to if you had a uh, to your brick and mortar cost. So 15% referral fee, it's much lower cost than if you were uh, than all the overheads that you would have uh, in terms of fixed cost uh, if you were to have an actual physical retail outlet. Tell me a bit about your local business here in Singapore. Do you have to keep some inventory with you and hire local staff since you do the fulfillment here instead of with Amazon? So yes, because we sell on uh, various channels, uh, for our own e-commerce fulfillment locally here in Singapore, uh, our suppliers send it to us and uh, we have a couple of staff who have to um, take care of the inventory and fulfillment. Uh, so that's a pretty significant kind of cost and also I have to be quite hands-on sometimes. So that can take quite a bit of time and effort as well. Uh, whereas with Amazon, uh, all the stock is labeled as required by them so they can identify it with their barcoding system and then essentially just ship it uh, to whatever warehouse that they ask you to ship it to. And from once the Amazon receives it, uh, everything's in their system. So it's pretty straightforward from there on. And when you make a sale, how long does it take for the various platforms to process the payments back to you? Sure. Uh, once the payment has been made by a buyer, uh, what happens is Amazon will um, collect that payment and then they transfer the balance to you, to a seller, every two weeks or every 14 days. What about the other platforms like Lazada, eBay, and Q10? For eBay, it goes uh, through PayPal and then it uh, gets paid into your PayPal account instantly. Um, so that's... Uh, the cash flow um, process would be a bit faster with that. Um, for, some, for the other platforms in Singapore, uh, specifically like uh, Lazada and Q10, uh, for Q10 you can manually trigger a transfer of um, whatever proceeds you have. That was Jason Tay, co-founder of Fairhavens. 
It makes sense that if an e-commerce platform handles the storing of inventory, fulfillment, and basic customer services like Amazon does, smaller businesses would be much more willing to sell on that platform and pay the company a cut of every sale they make. Which is why I wanted to talk about a country that's been in the headlines because of major changes it's been making to its e-commerce sector, India. The e-commerce market in India is predicted to reach $200 billion by 2026, from under $39 billion in 2017, thanks mostly to rising incomes and a surge in internet users. Wow, that's a lot of market potential, which explains why Amazon has invested roughly $5 billion to take advantage of the untapped potential of India's e-commerce market. It also explains why Walmart made a $16 billion bet on local e-commerce startup Flipkart. That is until the government introduced policies that restrict the way non-Indian players operate in that market. In December 2018, the Indian government introduced a rule which effectively banned Amazon and Flipkart from selling products of companies in which they own an equity stake. The rules also prevent them from forming exclusive selling agreements with sellers or offering steep discounts to consumers based on those deals. I caught up with two Indian sellers by phone and asked them about their experiences selling on online platforms in India. I asked them how the e-commerce space in the country has changed with the emergence of companies like Amazon, Flipkart, and another local competitor, Snapdeal. Take a listen to what Nitin Kapoor from Indian Beautiful Art, which sells garments, jewelry, and other lifestyle products online, and had a turnover of $6 million last year, had to say. Uh, I believe in the last uh, 10 years, the, the e-commerce uh, has got matured day by day. Uh, when I say matured, matured in terms of uh, selling and, and customers also have got matured in terms of buying. They're more comfortable today buying products online uh, as they were in last couple of years. Uh, the skepticism has gone away from the customers. So they're more open to buying products. Uh, uh, as far as sellers are concerned, they have also gone mature in terms of uh, listing their products online, uh, giving quality products to the customers. Because end of the day, it's 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 all about customer who's buying your product, be it retail or be it online. It's it's one of the channels to sell your product. So ultimately, your product has to be good enough for somebody to buy it. It does not mean that if you're selling online, you'll you'll sell a cheap product and and the customer will go away and 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 you would since you're not in front of the customer you will and you'll get away with that but so that that's something which uh, people have got matured with and uh, as far as the bigger players are concerned uh, so i believe uh, if you if you'll go and check out the way they are selling so they it's it's more matured selling what they are doing so there are bigger sellers also uh, who who does uh, sell good into marketplaces only because they maintain their quality of the product they maintain the quality of listings the contents the images the videos the enhanced uh, brand content which they maintain they get all their brands registered and all the like we have got all our brands registered in U us uk europe india the, since we are very very uh, you know uh, serious about our business and our brands and uh, somebody who's buying our brand so we got to ensure the quality so so there are there are repeat purchases which are happening today and so as it is happening for the bigger players as well so because someone is very serious about the business so it's not uh, moms and pops shops opening every day and coming out for the business it's a, it's a serious business has to be done with a lot of focus 
That was Nitin Kapoor from Indian Beautiful Art. I also spoke to Rohit Saini, who had extensive experience selling on various platforms and currently oversees Indian operations of WK Life, which is a Hong Kong-based lifestyle, electronics, and mobile accessories brand. With WK Life, Saini says he's focused on building up the offline business first before considering going online. Rohit, tell me a bit about your experience selling on platforms like Amazon, Flipkart, and Snapdeal. So I've been almost uh, from the time Amazon came to India, eBay, I was selling uh, before on eBay, then on Amazon, Flipkart, Snapdeal, almost 30 e-commerce platform I have sold our products on uh, before this brand. And um, so we faced a lot of problems during this course, you know, because every platform had their own rules and regulations to follow. Some, uh, some platforms like Flipkart, and they're not very seller-friendly. And uh, Amazon have their own uh, good side and bad side. On Amazon, don't listen to your uh, uh, your side of uh, problem, and they just block as you as a seller. And then you keep fighting the case for next three to six months, and your money is blocked, your things are blocked, and so because everything is happening through US. So if you if we even call center in over the night, we make a call or some we try to contact them. So the call comes, is channelized through the US. So uh, it's still, that's what I'm saying, it's uh, still a long way to go uh, in terms of e-commerce. When you mentioned Amazon just blocks you, can you tell me a bit more about the context? Uh, there are many, many reasons Amazon uh, can block you as a seller. You know, uh, for example, uh, there's a delay in shipment or there's a delay, you know, one or two times max, you know. And they can be genuine reasons in India, you know, they can be holidays because India is full of festivals and things. So they don't take care about it, they just block you and then you keep fighting, there's a reason. Then when you're selling, you know, uh, 2000 plus products, they can be one product which can uh, be really, uh, you know, bad in quality or maybe, you know, it, the returns comes in. But it doesn't mean all the product line is like that. So they block you as a brand. That was Rohit Sani from WK Life. Amazon did not respond to CNBC's request for comment on this episode. So, Heli, despite the debate around the kind of influence these big tech companies have on retailers, you know, big and small, it's interesting that estimates suggest only 15% of all retail is done through e-commerce today. That means the potential here is still tremendous. Absolutely. I asked Jason if he felt like the big companies today are calling all the shots and the smaller sellers have missed the boat on e-commerce. He said there's never been a better time in history to start your own business because of all the potential sales avenues you have due to e-commerce. If you sell on a marketplace like Amazon or Lazada, uh, obviously it's their playground, it's their sandbox, and you have to play by their rules. Selling on Amazon or Lazada, they're not your friend, they're not your business partner. Uh, They are simply a sales channel and you should never put all your eggs in one basket. So you don't necessarily build an Amazon business. Uh, That would be uh, foolish. Uh, What you do is you build a real business and you make use of all the available sales channels. So uh, developing that thought, I personally believe that there has never been a greater time in history to start your own small business or there's never been greater opportunity for small businesses 
uh, than the time that we live in. And that's because uh, with very little capital and with very little risk, you now have access to the global market. You have access to literally hundreds of millions of customers uh, just by the push of a button. So before I ventured into um, e-commerce, I uh, had seriously considered opening a Subway outlet as a franchisee. And if you want to do that, that's going to cost a few hundred thousand dollars. And if you do the numbers, uh, you open a Subway outlet in, let's say, a heavily populated suburb in Singapore. Uh, but even then, the outlet would, let's say, have a maximum reach of potentially 10,000 or so uh, residents in the vicinity. Uh, and that would come at a cost of uh, several hundred thousand dollars in startup capital, not to mention the tens of thousands of dollars monthly uh, it, with rental and staff overheads and then uh, your restocking of your uh, food supplies and other maintenance costs. So if you compare that to, for example, um, selling on Amazon as one of your outlets, Amazon charges $39.99 US dollars per month uh, and you have reach of instantly, um, I think something like 180 million customers in the US marketplace alone versus if I start, if I spent, I don't know, 2000 times more to open a little um, brick and mortar outlet and potentially have a couple of thousand customers coming in a month. It's definitely going to be an interesting space to watch going forward. So that's all the time we have for today's episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. Have you ever sold anything online? Tell us. We'd love to hear about your experience. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at esholzy9. And I'm at saheli rc. We'll catch you next time. Beyond the Valley. Valley.